1: Well then, become a fan of Livewire Radio. Visit facebook.com slash livewire radio and click the like button to make sure you're up on the latest in guest news, live shows, and cat videos that we think are funny. That's facebook.com slash livewire radio. Thanks for listening.
2: Announcements, announcements, (coughs) announcements. Good morning, Mondale Middle School. This is Vice Principal Ferber, and it's time for announcements. On the cafeteria menu today, a choice of nacho burgers, nacho pizza, or the make-your-own nacho station. For our students with dietary restrictions through no fault of their own, as well as uh, the vegans, (laughs) the menu is whatever you brought from home. We're feeling our mongoose pride this morning. Congratulations are in order for the debate team who just won second place in their debate versus Agnew Prep. And congratulations to 8th graders Dylan Garcia and Brittany Gunderson on the recent birth of their twins. Uh, That would be Justin and Bieber Garcia Gunderson. Just say no to drugs... If you need a reason, there is an undercover police officer, or narc, hidden among you. You'll never guess who it is, so don't even try. And before you point a finger at transfer student Troy Merman, I'm told his beard is the result of a glandular condition. Reminder, Mondale Middle School is a peanut-free zone. As we all know, McKenna Stevens is allergic, so no one is permitted to enjoy peanut products within 1,000 feet of school grounds. The custodian discovered an unshelled peanut half near the jungle gym Tuesday, so the playground will be off-limits for a few weeks for decontamination. (laughs) Okay, McKenna. For those of you wondering why area squirrels are being trapped and euthanized, squirrels carry peanuts, and, well, it's because of McKenna and her peanut thing. (laughs) As we start the year, it's important we're all familiar with safety procedures. There just might be a surprise fire drill around the corner, as well as a biological attract drill, a cyber attack drill, emo teen gunman drill, and a retro Red Dawn-style communist invasion drill. (laughs) The school safety officer will be conducting surprise in-your-face stranger danger role-playing sessions with random students, so watch out. We just want you to feel safe. And finally, be on your best Mondale behavior for today's all-school assembly in the Libra Cafe Gymnatorium. <laughs> subject matter covered in the dynamic multimedia presentation includes eating healthy, staying in school, and getting high on math, not meth. <laughs> it's recycling mixed with abstinence wrapped in a free, brightly colored condom. It's... It's... Wildfire! From the beautiful Alberta Rose Oregon, where deadly peanuts aren't much of a problem, but filberts, the nerds of the nut kingdom, can bore a kid to death. It's Livewire, and now it's the host of Livewire, whose career as a narc was cut short when the kids saw her fog hat tattoo in the PE locker room, Courtney Ha-Meister!
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. We are absolutely giddy to be at our new home here at the Alberta Rose Theater. in. Uh, yeah. We're in the Alberta district of Portland, Oregon, and it's an amazing, vibrant, artistic district. It's It's a beautiful theater, and we're absolutely overjoyed to be here. And we can't believe the show that we have for you tonight to open up our season in our new home. Uh, Rob Ainsley and the Portland Opera Chorus are here. They're going to perform a piece of their upcoming shows, Pagliacci and Carmina Burana, with members of Body Box And the hilarious and brilliant Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show, is joining us again. We're excited about that. And our musical guest tonight was nominated for a Grammy Award at age six massive overachiever, Bobby Bear Jr. is with us tonight. Before we get to all that, I would love for you to meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater tonight, Mr. Tyler Hughes. <laughs> We've got a fill-in face tonight, the amazing Ted Douglas is with us tonight. Laura Face Smith, the beautiful siren of sound, Pat Janowski. As usual, poet Scott Poole, author of The Cheap Seats, will be in our audience. Scott will write feverishly as the show progresses. Then at the end of the show, he will present us with a poem that he has written that encompasses all that we have learned during the course of the night. Welcome, Scott. It's time to get writing. And of course, we couldn't do any of it without the amazing accompaniment of our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. That was really dramatic. <laughs> Felt like it might have been the end of an after-school special.
2: Okay, Kyla, let's take a look at those chompers. Oh, I know you're nervous, but you'll be fine. Aww. Even if you do have a cavity, it's not a big deal. We'll take care of it in the All <laughs> Alrighty. Well, it does look like you do have a little cavity on your back right molar. Deal, I promise. I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, God, help me! Help me! Wait, don't run, Carla. Don't run, Carla. Come back. (laughs) Dang.
1: So I told him if you don't treat me right, will find someone who will. So he did the right thing and he paid for the extra peanuts in my peanut buster parfait. No. (laughs) He did. He is a prince. Hey, how much do you want off the bangs? Oh, just a tiny bit. Okay. Anyway, so then we were watching Dog the Bounty Hunter on his condo, right? And, oh no. What? I think I cut your bangs too short.
3: Morning, honey. Morning. Ooh, are you cooking breakfast? You bet. <laughs> You're too good to me. Mmm, coffee?
4: Yes.
5: brewing. Yay. Oh, but we only had decaf. Oh. <laughs> Christ! Wow. You know, all appearances aside, I'm really not that bothered by it. Me neither.
3: What is up with you people?
2: What do you mean?
3: Come here. No, 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 not all of you, just you two. Us? Yes, get over here. You have to stop this. Uh, Stop what? This, the drama. So it's not working for you? Uh, No, it's not working for anyone. Where did you come from, anyway?
2: Well, uh, you remember that Damien guy?
3: The devil's kid? Yeah,
2: yeah. He wore that cute little round cap and the prep school uniform. With of the... course
3: I do. Yeah, we came with him. Okay, but he's long gone now, so why didn't you go with him?
2: Uh, we missed our bus.
3: Yeah, uh, there's
5: a lot of us, and he was moving really fast because he's, you know, evil and magical and such. So we just figured we could get work in town, but Wow. <laughs> There is just very, very little evil here. Right. Have
2: you seen your police blotter? It it really takes the wind out of your sails to sing at a reptile store vandalization, you know. (laughs) So we're just taking it where we can get it.
3: You know, there's a guy on 4th Street who went to prison for a big Ponzi scheme.
2: Yeah, yeah, he moved to Spartanville last winter. Lovely guy, though. Really, really evil. Also, made a mean tater tot casserole. You liked it? You didn't think the peas were too mushy? I think they were canned, I'm pretty sure.
3: Yeah, that could have been better, sure. Okay, guys, okay. I see what happened here. And I think I know where you need to go. We'll pool our resources and get you some bus tickets. Oh, that'd be great! You guys want some coffee?
2: Oh, we'd love some. Cool.
3: Oh, all we have is decaf though. What did I say?
1: Two weeks later.
2: Hello, I'm Andy Cohen, and welcome back to the Real Housewives of New Jersey reunion show. I
1: So what you just heard was the 60-person strong Portland Opera Chorus singing a wee portion of O Fortuna from Carmina Burana, a show they'll be performing at the end of this month, along with Pagliacci. Please welcome Portland Opera's Associate Music Director and Chorus Master Rob Ainsley and co-founder of Box, Ashley Rowland, to the stage. Um, so Ashley has a very large Yellow snake with her. It's a beautiful color yellow, really, really sort of egg shelly uh, uh, yellow. And uh, gosh, it, I mean, it looks about the size of what people would see a, a python to be.
6: Yes, but it's a boa constrictor. So it's, it's, yeah, this is actually an albino boa constrictor. Very, very beautiful, very gentle, very docile. Name, name of sunshine. Name sunshine. So, what role does sunshine play in the show? Well, you know, she's sort of our lead dancer. Uh, she does a lovely pas de deux uh, early on in the evening, at representing obviously temptation, uh, fear, and all sorts of wonderful things like that, wonderful themes like that.
1: And so can you, can you either of you, um, talk about how this show happened, this combination of these two shows, Pagliacci and uh, Carmina Burana?
6: You know, originally, our first conductor put the two pieces together, Pagliacci and Carmina, which don't usually go together. Pagliacci is a complete piece, uh, which ends in a tragedy. Um, And what happens is, with the direction of Chris Mataliano, we've connected the two operas, or actually uh, the choral piece of Carmina Burana. And so if you come to the production, you'll see uh, the tragedy at the end of Pagliacci, and then you'll see the beginnings of uh, the next part of the tragedy, and it continues through Carmina Burana.
4: And uh, therefore, they have just a huge amount of material, much more than they would in a normal show. Uh-huh. So you're being threatened by the snake at this moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't worry, she, she doesn't bite. Okay.
6: I have <laughs> <laughs> She's really pretty. <laughs> just she, she's actually money. latched onto. She, she
4: gives great hugs.
6: Yeah. <laughs> this this is the snake bite kit that I have on my waistband. She's actually latched herself on it. It's a little hand sanitizer. So if she bites, we're just gonna put a little bit in her mouth. She'll so be fine.
1: Oh yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and nice. I knew that. I mean, play. I know that. I, I don't know why you don't think I, I don't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about Carmina Burana is used in so many horror films, but it's actually a rather joyful piece, right? I mean, what are are the words saying?
4: Yes, well, I mean, the the opening chorus, which is the piece that everyone's familiar with, is, um, it stands as a bookmark. It's on either end of the the show. And it's really about fate and the fact that we can't get away from fate. But the whole of the middle section is uh, an extraordinary manuscript that was found in, um, it's a 13th century manuscript written by lapsed monks. So um, you can imagine kind of friar tucks who've been kicked out of monasteries for drinking and fornicating far too much. It's quite dirty poetry. I mean, it, it really is. It's, Great. Right. It's, it's a very human piece in and, many ways. And
1: are the, so we can actually see the lyrics uh, translated if we come to the show.
4: Yeah, we have super titles at Portland Opera, uh, and you get a running translation of everything that's being sung.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it sounds like an amazing show, and we so appreciate your bringing the chorus to the show tonight. It was a blast to work with them. And, uh, and I've so enjoyed spending time with Sunshine. <laughs> 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 Thanks so much for joining it's us. It's a pleasure. Hope Rob to see you with the Portland Opera. Listening to Livewire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy, we stimulate every part of your brain, including the areas you've put aside specifically for REO Speedwagon lyrics. (laughs) Coming up, Bobby Bear Jr., Liz Winstead, and poet Scott Poole will be right back. Back to LiveWire. As I mentioned earlier, our next guest was nominated for a Grammy Award at age six for a duet he sang with his father, Bobby Bear. It was a Shel Silverstein song called Daddy What If. And this year has been a busy one for Bobby Bear Jr. He co-produced a Shel Silverstein tribute album with his father called Twistable Turnable Man featuring artists like Black Francis of the Pixies Andrew Bird and Lucinda Williams. And he just released his own solo record, A Storm, A Tree, My Mother's Head. Please welcome Bobby Bear Jr.
7: Hello.
8: Last night I got busted for acting just like myself. While well, wishing I was somebody else, and everybody knows just who I am. I'm the chewing gum. Stuck in your hair And words making you smile goodbye I heard hello where are you gonna go I'm the only fool you know we found a place between love and hate where nothing feels that good and nothing feels that Great. And what's making you smile and making me sad? I know it feels good. This is gonna be bad. And know my places just making you mad. What's making you smile? Is making me sad (laughs) Last night I got busted For acting just like myself well she was somebody else.
6: Bobby Bear
1: Jr. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you. So I read that you actually, you've known, you, you knew Shel Silverstein since you were a very young child. And actually, throughout your songwriting history, he really, he critiqued your songs and kind of helped you with songwriting. And when I was listening to this record, I could hear that you had worked with him. There's so much humor and poignancy in, yeah. in the work. What was he like as a, as a, as a critic or as an editor?
9: It, what he would tell me is he'd say, I can't really critique you. I can only tell you what I would do differently. And if I would get lazy, he would say, "This, this, you, you shouldn't do this. This is a waste of time." Or, and, uh, and, and, but he was just, he was just being a really great mentor, and, mm-hmm. you know, just being a cheerleader sometimes. If I wrote something good, it was a really nice thing of him to do. And so. your father
1: is Bobby Bear Senior, and he's he's a he's like an old school country singer.
9: He's he's the old guy who sleeps with my mother. <laughs>
1: Right. Well, what was it like? I mean, you, you did you had you had people like the Pixies on this record that I'm sure your dad hadn't heard about. Actually,
9: a year ago at Music Fest Northwest, I got to open up for Black Francis and I I told him I'm doing a Shell Silverstein tribute. Would would you like to do Have you ever been on the cover of the Rolling Stone? He said, "No, I haven't." I go, "Would you like to do this song?" And he said, I'd be And Shel Silverstein
1: honored. actually wrote that song, which yeah. I didn't realize. He also wrote A Boy Named Sue, which I didn't realize. Yes, he did. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it?
9: And he wrote the unicorn song.
1: I don't Green know. Green
9: alligators and <gasps> long necks. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about the title song to this record, A yes. Storm, A Tree, My Mother's Head. Yes. There's a, there's a story behind this song.
9: Yes. My mom was sitting on the couch in Nashville during a storm, and a tree fell through the roof, through the ceiling, and directly on top of her and pretty much split the house in two. It cracked two vertebrae in her neck. She crawled out of underneath the debris, because it's not just this huge ancient tree. It's the ceiling, the insulation, the two-by-fours. She was all alone, and she's fine now, and you can hear her screaming on the recording, you can hear she was nice. She's as lucky that she survived it as she is unlucky that it fell exactly on top yeah. of her. But the arms of the couch, I think, saved her.
1: Um, well, you are actually going to come back and sing one more song for us later in the show. Is that right? Please, sure. please totally. do so. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Bobby Bear Jr. Everybody. <clears throat> For more information about bobby bear jr and his record visit bobbybearjr.com
2: you're listening to live wire radio and if you love the show you'll really love our podcast visit itunes today and subscribe what that means is that the podcast will automatically download your hard drive without you having to do a thing it's just like inviting the whole cast of the show to your house for pizza except there's a lot less beer cans strewn about Believe me, and no one will leave a hole in your wall over a ridiculous argument over an apples-to-apples game. Laura.
3: Hey, you know what? Dolly Parton is way more unhealthy than bonbons. I was wrong.
2: OK. All right. Let it go, Laura. And you download our podcast to avoid that. If there's news to tell, we will tell it so hard. This is rich. From the Headlines.
1: A woman who fell in love with a cobra snake in June of 2005 has married the reptile in a ceremony attended by over 2,000 guests. The villagers of Adala, India welcomed the wedding in the belief that the union would bring good fortune and laid out a feast for the big day.
2: And now, hold on to a person or a chair as the writ from the Headlines players perform this as a play. Go. Picked up in Act 1, Scene 5, the woman and Cobra are alone in their split-level 1950s ranch-style home. The woman speaks.
3: Alone at last. What do you want to do? <laughs> oh, you naughty. I mean, besides that. <laughs> do you want to scare the village while I run after you screaming? It's okay. He's my husband. <laughs> uh, mango lassi. <laughs> Would you like to play Boggle? Boggle it is, your Cobra husband.
2: The woman goes to get Boggle. The Cobra bites her, and she dies. (laughs) A spotlight shrinks to the Cobra as he delivers his speech.
5: Who am I? I have become a
7: monster.
2: A sacred cow is rolled onto the stage, adorned with a garland of red, orange, and saffron flowers, and a jaunty bowler. Cobra continues.
5: Help me Help me fight who I am I killed my wife And for what? For the thrill? I think not, sacred cow I am a simple cobra Why must I bite and kill everyone I see? Is it because I am deadly and that I love to bite and bite and
7: bite?
2: The cobra suddenly bites the sacred cow and it dies. The cobra raises his head to the skies and screams. The cobra coils up in defeat, which looks a lot like just regular coiling up. <laughs> and it cries its poison tears.
1: As dramatic as that all sounded, it appears to not be in any way true. After some very cursory research, it was revealed that the cobra and the woman, a Mrs. Amir T. Cobra, are still living in the 1950s split level ranch home and are very happy. <laughs>
2: In the face of happiness, in the face of tragedy, we will tell you the news. So hard.
1: This has been ripped, ripped from-, from the headlines. Good
2: night. You are listening to Live Wire Radio. Variety is our middle name. Actually, it's Sheldon. But <laughs> hello, embarrassing. <laughs> it's like. Whatever mom and dad, Sheldon, it's lame. Anywho, if you live in Portland, come to our next live show at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org.
1: Is it accurate to say that our next guest changed the face of political satire in America forever when she co-created The Daily Show? Pretty much. Not to keep tooting her horn unnecessarily, but she was also the brains behind bringing Rachel Maddow to the airwaves on Air America, and she rules. But she doesn't just start awesome shows, she's also one of the country's smartest satirists and has appeared as a stand-up comic on HBO, Comedy Central, and the Aspen Comedy Festival, among squillions of other places. Here with a piece from her current touring show, please welcome Liz Winstead to (laughs) Livewire. She hit it for a radio audience.
10: I'm white and I'm proud. Say it loud. Um, Okay, so I do these touring shows and what I do is I write up to the minute. And so um, I usually have this crazy uh, sort of uh, fake telepromptery kind of thing going on where I just have music stands with notes and I write. So I had to bring my phone because I thought it was, I wrote my notes for what I wanted to do tonight as I was leaving. And I thought maybe we all just wanted to know a little bit about our friend in Florida whose name I won't say. I refer to him as Yosemite Scam <laughs> or the Caranti Christ. You pick. <laughs> I just feel really confused about how he got here. He has 50 parishioners. <laughs> Most people have more followers on Twitter. And yet he has reeled in the media's attention with this craziness, and the media didn't really look into who he was. The, the main thing you need to know is, is that he was kicked out of Germany for being too racist. <laughs> He's very worried about Sharia law taking over our country. He's also very worried about the gays taking over our country. I don't know how many gays are going to take over our country and then impose Sharia law. <laughs> We're going to fight for the right to get married so we can be stoned in the town square on the same day. <laughs> don't you understand? That's the gay agenda. But we all waited, just waited and waited for him. We waited for him to, Willie. will he do it? Won't he do it? He's gonna do it in the future. We don't, he's like the Brett Favre of hateful racists. (laughs) Very upset about the mosque. He said he was gonna meet with the imam in New York. I wish the imam in New York would meet with him and say, yes, we plan on moving the mosque to Florida. (laughs) Actually, I I am so for the, I live across the street from an Islamic center now. I live in Brooklyn. In fact, I live across the street from, like, six Islamic centers because that's what New York is. If you live in New York, you understand that two-thirds of the cabs in New York are Islamic centers. (laughs) Like, get a grip. And these people go protest down at the Islamic center not realizing that they have to pass, like, six mosques to get to the mosque they don't want built. (sighs) Sometimes people are dumb. Sometimes they think we should just print the Constitution on McDonald's bags. So people would actually read it, see it. But as we've seen this just level of crazy uh, uh, phobic Islamophobia and just brown people are just scaring white people in general in this country, but there's no racism in the Tea Party, so that's good. Because Sarah Palin said there wasn't. By the way, has anyone ever tried just pouring water on her to see if maybe that would make her go away? I don't know.
7: Just, I, I don't know.
10: We need to just take a step back for a second and try some rudimentary things before we continue. Yeah, um... Because she doesn't see racism. Neither does Sean Hannity in the Tea Party. Sean Hannity sees no racism. And I can, the only reason I can see that you wouldn't see racism in the Tea Party is because the signs are spelled so badly you might not recognize the word. <laughs> you know, Barack Obama is a Muslim. Hmm. I thought he was more of a polyblend. And with that, I think I'll take my seat next to
1: my friend over here. (laughs) Thank you. Liz Winstead.
10: I wanted to go way back. Oh, we're going in the way back machine. That yeah. never can be good.
1: Well, I just, I read that you um, actually came from a really conservative Catholic home. Yes. And what happened to you? My God. I got pregnant. Oh, that'll do it.
10: Yeah, that happens.
1: Well, but you were a rebel from the very beginning. I mean, I read that you actually uh, petitioned to be an altar boy.
10: I did. I did. Because back way in the way back machine, because I'm 180, Um, There was a time when girls weren't allowed to be servers. And I am... Ever since I was a little girl, I just did not have little girl fantasies. I wasn't like, I want to play with trucks. But, like, I didn't like babies really ever. Or I thought dolls were a joke toy. Like, wait, this toy pees and I change it, and we're done. And that's a toy. Here's the little oven, and that's a toy. It was all a big ripoff. So... It's true, they're just asking you to work. Start working now. Start working, isn't this fun? Right. Hey, it's a good color. (laughs) Look, it's an orange oven. No, it's still work. I'm not an idiot. I might be six, but don't think I'm stupid. (laughs) And so then, as I got older, I didn't really develop a love of babies anymore. And um, the only income that you could generate was babysitting as a little girl, which I thought I'd be bad at this. And turns out I was. Uh, (laughs) I found it a a nice little uh, place to make out and steal booze. (laughs) Uh, Look at this, no adults are here. Guys can come over and there's booze. This is (laughs) awesome. Maybe I like babysitting. Um, So maybe babysitting quit me. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a way to kind of move over to the yeah, dark side. Yeah, you know, but I have been realizing it about myself. And so I thought, oh, my friends, these guys were serving masses and funerals and making tips. More money than I was babysitting, so I thought, awesomeness. I'm just going to – nobody thought to go ask the priest, right? So I'm just going to go in there and say, I would love to be an altar person. I think it would be awesome. So I go to the priest, and I say, I would like to be an altar – I think I said altar boy – And he said, he was kind of like, well, you can't be an altar boy. And I thought, well, why? And he said, well, uh, because you're a girl. And it's called altar boy. (laughs) That's what he pulled out of his ass. So I was like, you know, I, I just thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no, like... You don't have to, you know, carry an anvil or something, right? You know, to be an altar boy. That wine was pretty light, and the wafers. Like, what do you do? You put on a gown and a, the boy burka, and you just stand on with the priest, and that's what you're doing. Like, I could do all of those things. That outfit was not form fitting. Like, the whole thing just seemed like the dumbest thing ever. And that's like, adults were always just trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Always. It was like, that's the dumbest. I'm, again, I'm six. I'm not an idiot. Like, you've got to give me a better reason. Like, when girls touch this wine, they turn to dust or something. <laughs> Some magical Catholic thing I probably would have believed until right. I was at least 15.
1: But you did start really early. That's the thing. It's like, you, you started really early doing essentially what you're doing now. I like, did. What was it about you when, you're, when you were six years old that was so different about these other you know, little I, six-year-old girls? I think it
10: was simply that... The things I enjoyed, like I loved, I taught myself gymnastics. Like I watched Olga Corbett and I taught myself to do that thing on the balance beam where she, my sister's here, she can attest to this. My dad made me a balance beam and I taught myself to go on the balance beam and bring my leg straight over my head because it looked awesome. <laughs> and what I couldn't figure out was why the stuff that I wanted to do that just seemed fun and interesting and might make me fun to be around Was just not available to me. Like, I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. And every time it was no, if you didn't give me a good reason, I was plowing ahead. And my mother was horrified because I petitioned the archdiocese. I probably got 20 people to sign a petition, and she keeps, she was like, Do you have to do that? And I was like, I have to. You won't let me be a letter or a a newspaper. She wouldn't let me deliver papers in the morning because it was too dark, and there was always, you know, flashers or whatever was happening back then that we called them flashers. They're called rapists now, by the way. It was like hobos. Remember, your parents would dress you up as a hobo for Halloween? Can you imagine dressing up your kid as a homeless person for Halloween? My mom dressed me up as a Chinese person for Halloween one year. Yes? Yes! We're from Minnesota. There wasn't any. So there was no one to offend. There was no one to offend. The Lutherans... That's who we would offend, you know. The multiculturalism was like the Finns and the Swedes and the
1: Germans and, you know. It's why you can write any sketch about Amish people and put it on TV. That's exactly right. They're because they do not it. believe in cable. <laughs> now, they, now, <laughs> now your, your mother still has the same belief system that, that she had oh my God, when you were a kid. Oh, my God, gotten
10: worse, honey. It has gotten how worse. How do, you,
1: how do you guys navigate that relationship?
10: She, as she's gotten older, she's always been conservative. Um, but now she only watches, she's 88, half deaf, and watches Fox News, so she gets half of half of the truth, right?
7: (laughs) And I get very
10: angry, because I've always wondered, why is it that Fox News can lure in the elderly, and I've realized because it's the loudest network. That's probably true. And has the biggest graphics. It's like, I don't know, I can hear it, so therefore it's going to be my truth because I heard it, so it is my truth. So she's got, not only has she gotten conservative, she's gotten tons more bitter. Oh, sure, well, that happens to to everyone. Yeah, but this is like insanity. Mm -hmm. Like, she's always never understood my reason for not having children. It's always been this point ever, and she calls up my sisters and she says, Liz is going to wake up one day and feel unhappy and miserable and I don't know what to do. So the last time I was home, she said, I just don't understand your decision. And I said, Mom, do you, I'm happy. What is it that you don't understand about my decision?" And she said, I think you should breed something other than contempt.
1: <laughs> it's 88, a, it's
10: a good line. It's a but really like, good line. Yeah, it's also a good amount of therapy. Like, I'm not made of money here. You know, it's like she will live on until that one shred of self-esteem that I have is destroyed. Then she will go out happy, float up into the heavens.
1: Well, I think, um, I think that in, like, in these, in, they, they always talk about in interpersonal relationships, using humor to, d- to diffuse conflict, right? Yes. Um, to pretend you're okay, you mean? Yes. <laughs> But I think, like, there was was an article about about, uh, Al Franken in the Washington Post talking about when he very first came in, he was very serious and didn't want to use his sense of humor. Right. And it really was a disservice to him. He was having a lot of problems, and he was getting complaints from both sides of the aisle. And then he started actually using his sense of humor. I mean, do you think that you can use... A sense of humor in political conflict in the same way yes. as in personal conflict? I, in the, here's why I th-
10: where I think you can. It's very interesting. I'm on Twitter constantly. It's a problem because I'm writing a book. So why write the book when you can do something for free? Um, and when I have these trolls who disagree with me, come on, I will joke with them and then they laugh and then they're like, oh, you're funny and you're not like what I expected you to be. And I was like, yeah. exactly. Because the second you share humor with someone, there, you cannot deny that there is a camaraderie and a bond. And, it, and that is, it's disarming to both people, but it's also true. Do you know who Cal Thomas is, the writer? He's this conservative writer. Everything he says, I just want to basically vomit in my shoes. <laughs> but I did a show with him on Fox, and we sang show tunes the entire time in the back room, <laughs> and then got out there, and I was like, you really are a raging-ass Burger. (laughs) Um, And then we went back to singing show tunes afterwards. So I do think that through humor... And I just think all the time, too... I think the biggest part of my political philosophy is... I so mistrust people who who have a definitive answer. Because no one has definitive answers. And people who ask questions and are open to suggestion are the people who I want to listen to. If you go on one network that's only their ideology, write them off, done, goodbye. You know, I just hate that. And so through humor, I often will phrase things like, well, wow, that's kind of weird. You're kicked out of Germany there for being too racist. Maybe you shouldn't be here so much preaching. You know, maybe we shouldn't be listening to you. Yeah. Because only 50 people are, and and the entire (laughs) media. Right, and the entire country. 50 people and the entire corporate media. (laughs) Right on.
1: God bless America. Um, so I read in Paul Provenza's book Satiristas, Uh He did an interview with you, and you had this great theory about why you were glad that you weren't a lesbian. The way that you had framed it was kind of everyone's a jerk, you know. Oh. You sort of re- it was when you were talking about Air America yeah. and how you realized, oh my god, oh yeah, even progressive people, exactly. Yeah,
10: that's a bummer. <laughs>
1: That you were getting pressure from people, that you thought that you would start this, this station and be able to say whatever you wanted. Yes, it was and then sadly
10: there was people with a lot of money who said, we're trying to get John Kerry elected here. And I was like, I'm trying to expose the hypocrisy here. Wow, we're doing two different things. And although I would like it if John Kerry was elected, certainly, I would also like John Kerry to listen to this voice of people who were going to vote for him to step up, uh, you know, just like Bar- Barack Obama or anyone. I just don't think that you are exempt because you may be of a stripe that I believe in, if you're going to screw up, man, that's my whole philosophy on pretty much everything, is that like, if somebody has given you the gift of power, the second you abuse it, then you, uh, you are on my radar and you are my target. Bottom line, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it was a good line. Well, um, we're so glad that you joined us. Well, it was I'm so, so great that you, that you came back. Well, I'm so glad you your
10: opening show. You guys are amazing. <laughs> I love the show. And by the way, hilarious the first sketch was hilarious and then <laughs> the choir was a thing of beauty <laughs> thank so, you thank
1: you for thank you so me. much Thanks. that's huge praise thank, thank you liz winstead everybody <laughs>
3: July 4th, 1939, Yankee Stadium. Lou Gehrig, the Iron Horse, retired from baseball in front of a packed stadium of 60,000 people. Gehrig had recently been diagnosed with a crippling neuromuscular disease that he would eventually succumb to. But what most people might not know is that his famous speech was actually the second one he gave that day. Here now is the original audio recording of his first speech.
5: Friends, for the past two weeks you've been reading about the bad break I got. I have to say, it's uh, it's pretty sucky. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the prime of my life. I hit 29 home runs last year and I didn't even feel so hot. Two years ago, I felt great. I felt like a bull, you know? Thirty-seven home runs. You think that's easy? It's hard to hit one home run. And I hit a lot of them. Thirty-seven. Year before that, forty-nine. Can you even wrap your head around that number? No. I don't think you can. So anyway, I got this disease, it's probably gonna kill me. So, yeah, bummer. I think I'd be okay with it. I think I could get a handle on the news a bit better if if the disease wasn't named after me. (laughs) Seriously, that's just stupid. Kind of a major kick in the shorts. And that's the Mayo Clinic talking. The friggin' Mayo Clinic. I thought they were kidding at first. You got Lou Gehrig disease, they said. What the hell? It's like something I'd hear in the third grade. God, this sucks. Anyway, today, I consider myself the unluckiest bastard on the face of the earth. You see that guy over there? The guy in the third row above the Yankee dugout? The guy who just spilled beer all over his lap? He's way luckier than me. Oh, look at that. Now he's giving me the finger. Well, you know what, buddy? At least no one said. I'm sorry, you have stupid jerk who spills beer on himself disease. And I'll bet you didn't hit 23 grand slams over your career, did you? No. So, oh, there it is. Pretty pissed off, as you guys can imagine. And I guess I kind of ruined the game for everyone. And I guess normally I'd be sorry, but you know, Y'all can just go to hell. (laughs) Nuts to this. I'll see ya.
3: Fifteen minutes later, after being counseled by his wife, Eleanor, as well as Yankee great, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig returned to the microphone and, under peer pressure, read his second, much more well-known speech. Although the grace and humanity Gehrig embodied in the second speech is remembered... LiveWire's dedication to historical fact will never falter, no matter how ugly. You're welcome, America. Good night.
1: You're listening to LiveWire Radio. With music, conversation, and comedy, we're like an entertainment variety pack, but without any of the crappy flavors everyone leaves for last. We'll be right back. And once again, Bobby Bear Jr.
9: Thank you. This song is also on my new record, A Storm a Tree, My Mother's Head. (laughs) Slash
8: walks in with an overweight Madonna Orders two Bud Lights and a cranberry vodka Marilyn Monroe dances dirty with Darth Vader. James Dean holds hands with a Sharon Personator. Italy to Georgia, Italy to Georgia, rock and roll holiday. With the Dixie chicks from Nashville, Tennessee. The fat one is flirting with me. It's scissor hand gets angry while wrestling the cigarette machine. In Little Georgia, in Little Georgia, Rocket rock and roll Halloween Italy, Georgia. Italy Georgia rock and roll
7: Halloween
1: As promised, please welcome poet Scott Poole.
11: What I've Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I have an announcement. No, I don't have a peanut allergy. No, I don't need to euthanize squirrels to live. I just have a small announcement, a squeaky junior high speaker kind of announcement. I want to join a chorus that sings apocalyptic music. (laughs) Yes, it's true. The only problem is that I sing like, like, well, You know those beautiful beluga caviar whales, the ones with the smiles on their white slick faces that seem so intelligent? You know how they squeak with delight and make absolutely no sense? Well, it's just a little worse than that. So I joined one of those really large choirs that sings Carmina Baranda like the Portland Opera Chorus. You know, the ones that scream like all the demons from the depths of hell are flying from the center of earth, dragging columns of black, curly, sparkly brimstone like all the unicorns and care bears in the universe are on fire at once, you know? I decided I'll just whisper with a lot of expressiveness Let me tell you, it's not easy to exhibit exotic and dramatic facial expressions so people don't know you're not really singing. (laughs) We will not accept an out-of-two note. Yes, Sensei! Sing him into a body bag, Johnny! (laughs) And since I knew no one could hear me, I'd freestyle on the words in sort of a Bobby Baird Jr. from Nashville, Tennessee, bluesy, beautiful lament kind of way... I'm sitting on a couch with someone's mom reading a book and a tree suddenly falls on me and a bully is pointing at me and laughing at me and throwing his gum at me a very impotent showing of power and I'd cry out, I'd cry out don't throw your gum at me it's not sanitary don't throw your gum at me Reading is a nice hobby. Don't throw your gum at me. It's not necessarily sanitary. Do you have a saw? But I'm afraid I won't be noticed just whispering. So, as Liz, Liz Winstead suggests, I will take a page from the Florida D bag. I mean, Pastor. So while the choir is singing full bore, I will threaten to burn a copy of Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon stories if Livewire isn't given national syndication. I swear I will if the president or the Pentagon doesn't call me. That might get me some attention. It's just crazy enough to work thank you Scott Poole
1: everybody thanks so much for coming out
2: our thanks to our guests tonight Rob Ainsley, Ashley Rowland, Liz Winstead and Bobby Bear Jr. and the entire Portland Opera Chorus the Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Jay Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Fitch & Associates, the Falcon Art Community, Willamette Week, and Buchanan, Angeli, Altshul, and Sullivan. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. LiveWire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brunberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Simmons. Special thanks to the Rose City Sound. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath. And performers Laura Faye Smith, Ted Douglas, and Siren of Sound, Patchenowski. LiveWire's house poet is Scott Poole. This show's guest writer was the fabulous Jordi Barnes. Production management and lighting by Drew Flint. Theme by Courtney Mondreli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamation. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. Big thanks this show go to Joe Cauley, Adam East, and the entire staff at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes with a couple of retractions from last week's credits. Turns out neither Nipsey Russell nor Swedish supergroup ABBA had anything to do with last week's show. My bad.
0: Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered?